0: So today on the podcast, we have Amanda Noguchi, owner, creative director of Under My Umbrella and co-founder of Group and also with Chef Hui. Here we are recording this intro in the middle of the night.
1: You can probably hear the crickets.
0: Hearing crickets is no good when you tell jokes because <laughs> when you hear crickets after it's a little surreal. It was a really good podcast, this one. Yeah,
1: it, it was. Um, Amanda talked a lot.
0: She did. But it's interesting. With Ho and being partners at Umu for so long, we've been partnering for like 10 years, 10 plus years now, we've never really had the time to sit down and just kind of talk story without talking business.
1: Right. I mean, you know, there's little opportunity when you're trying to save the world to stop <laughs> and talk about, you know... Uh, Things that we have in common or things that we've done together or even how we met or anything like that. And uh, this was a nice little deep dive into that thought process of basically how we met and similarities we have as people and the same kind of ideal sets and value sets that we have in common.
0: Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you click with someone, but you always expect like, oh, maybe behind the scenes, they're monsters or something. (laughs) But with this podcast, it was really refreshing to hear some of Amanda's past, some of what of her influences are, some mm-hmm. of her process, yeah, and how she got to where she is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, It's it was very interesting as far as hearing her story. And, and we kind of, we personally kind of know it as far as like how we met or where we met. We understand all of that. But kind of seeing the lines interweave uh, into each other and see it happen in real time, uh, through this conversation was kind of nice. And I and I feel very fortunate to have this as a recording, as a snapshot in time for us mm-hmm. uh, to sort of commemorate this uh, relationship. And it's really, I think it's re- a really special gift to have this in perpetuity. As much as we, we like having this podcast as an opportunity for folks to listen to and learn different things from, uh, secretly, this is also a way for us to kind of commemorate certain things in Hi Ho's mm-hmm. lifespan. And, and to have this as a recording is, is, is such a nice thing.
0: Yeah, we're actually really tricking people to sit down really? and just talk story with us. <laughs> I mean, there's really nowhere to go in this era of COVID. But it, one of the positive things is this time and space to really flesh out and talk about just each other and mm-hmm. celebrating each other. Yes, Amanda is one of those people we really want really wanted to celebrate. Mm-hmm. We've known her for a long time, and we know she does a ton of stuff, but it's really interesting to see where where she's coming from and yes. where she's going.
1: yeah, I, I think I think folks uh, I think folks know Amanda's husband a little bit more than they know who Amanda is. Who's that? And <laughs> that would be Mark Noguchi. Uh, and people know him because he's he's a very a well-known chef, and I think people don't know Amanda uh, nearly as much, but they should only because of the amazing things she's doing in our community and the amazing positive effect that she's had, especially during uh, COVID and how she's been able to mobilize and uh, get Chef out to the masses to make sure people continue to get fed and, and addressing the food insecurity needs. Food security needs? Food security? Yeah, food security. Food security.
0: Yeah, I've always found um, a liking to Amanda and Mark, or as the public knows him as Gooch. Uh, I always viewed our relationship very similarly because people may think that I'm super gregarious and fun, but I know that I owe a lot of my success to you, Char. Oh. And uh, I think Mark and Amanda, when we talk to them, we feel similarly to them. hmm Yeah. So I know... Very much so that behind every strong man, there's also a strong woman. In this case, if they're both super strong, then they're both mega strong.
1: Yeah, no one's behind. Everyone's standing next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think Ryan and I, as a couple, found a kinship in uh, Amanda and Mark and their relationship. And their uh, want to continue to help folks and be of service to folks. And we found a kinship in that They're
0: the first legit power couple that I know of. Yeah. (laughs) Besides Barack and Michelle Obama, (laughs) but I don't know them yet. Not yet. No, they're on the podcast in a month. (laughs) So talking to Amanda, we do talk about her. We also talk about nonprofit. We talk about her interactions with nonprofits and her specialty event planning and coordination. And I think it's a very interesting look as uh, as, a, as working for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting to talk about that and to learn some lessons working with her. Mm-hmm. And if people are lucky enough to work with her, then they always come out better than when they went in with her. So we talk about that a little bit, not to give anything away. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it should be a fun one.
1: It will be. It is.
0: It has. <laughs> <laughs> it's always tricky <laughs> talking about time. When we record it first and talk about it after, yeah, it will great. be. It is? It, yeah. It, it, ha- it... it is! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's enough of this. This is Ryan. This is Shar. And this is Morning, Morning, Morning assembly, assembly with Amanda Noguchi. The Ohio Education Department presents Morning, Morning Assembly. assembly. Hello, Amanda
2: Sorry, the dog thought you were really here that's how live you sound so I was thinking about your question of the like the first time I volunteered um, I was talking with my mom about it that was interesting for me to think about the first time oh yeah
0: what did you think about
2: for me some of the first memories I have of like volunteering oh. my dad was really big into bicycles and as, as you know, and my brother worked at K-Vibe and there's all this overlap of like cycling being a big part of our lives. But I think I remember one of my first times volunteering was alongside my dad and helping out with a bike ride that was happening. So showing up, I have memories of showing up with my dad and, and giving out um, water on, on the sidelines of a bike ride. And a few years later, when I was nine, it was the MS-150, which you ride 150 miles over two days. And at nine, I rode in that ride with my dad and my grandma. So there was three generations of us riding in that ride together. And so I remember that as showing up as a volunteer with my dad as a kid. Um, I also remember... I have vivid memories now of I was in a choir when I was in elementary and middle school and we would go sing at the nursing homes. And I don't think we called it volunteering. You know, that's again it wasn't it wasn't labeled as that, but I remember the feeling of singing and interacting uh-huh. with our kapuna, with our elderly in Missouri and how much that meant mm. to them, and I think how much it meant to me that it was like a it was like a high. It was a feeling of satisfaction of seeing that a simple act that you were doing is bringing joy to someone else. So, although when mm. people ask like, "Oh, you do so much for the community," where your com- where your parents also like super active in the community, my initial like knee jerk was no, not really. <coughs> But then when I think about mm-hmm. the way we lived, it was just a much a simpler lifestyle. Um, and it didn't have titles, I think, is more of what I realized. Like, my parents recycled. We composted our food. We fed scraps to the deer in our backwoods. None of that was like, oh, my parents are environmentalists. That was just what we did because <laughs> we lived a fairly right. simple lifestyle that was in tune to the land and in tune to the people around us. So I liked being asked that question because it made me think about it in a deeper way than I think I've really thought about it before, to be honest.
0: Well, that's so interesting because a lot of people think about it and they oftentimes have experiences like you. Do you find now that you're thinking about it that, does that, did that have an impact to you, on totally. you today?
2: I think 100% it's, I think it's, um, it wasn't like, oh, my parents do this, so I'm going to do this. I think it's actually, it goes back to the fact that it's ingrained in me. It's like, my mom makes lists, so I make lists. You know, there's like there are certain things that are just, yeah. they are part of who I am because it was what was bred into me my entire life. But my parents, it wasn't like yeah. it was a labeled thing, like, we need to give back to the community, so we need to go and volunteer. That was not, that never came out of their mouths. They were just mm-hmm. people who performed acts of kindness and acts of giving in everything that they did.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a nice story because when I think about you and our relationship and what I know of you, it sounds like you're describing yourself. Like what needs to get done gets done. That kind of heart you bring to Hawaii it's really impressive. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud to call you my friend.
2: Yeah, it's the same. I mean, I think we all clicked from however long ago that was now that we, that we met. Um, (laughs) I think we clicked and it makes sense in reflecting of why is that we just have similar values and, and even just ways of looking at, you know, looking at, at life and looking at how we, show up. Mm-hmm. It just feels like it's our kuleana to do so, not, not, for any, not for any reasons or to check any boxes off, but that's just what feels like uh, what we were put on earth to do. And both Mark and I say that, and I think that's where when Mark and I met and we were such different people from very different backgrounds, but why we gravitated to one, of, to one another is because we are both people who wanted to be of service. And not for any certain mm-hmm. specific reason, but it's just within our nature.
0: You know, so this is a fun little game, right? You mentioned the first time we met. Uh, we've done this a couple of times already, but do you <laughs> remember the first time we met?
1: <laughs> just just like you, we have to think about right. when that was, because it was a long time ago.
2: I'm trying to remember what, like how and what, like how it would have even been. It was through "Hi Ho," Right.
1: Yes.
0: Yes, actually, yes. And yes.
2: were you, you guys remember? You were going to give me like a hint?
0: Well, <laughs> well I, think, I think I know the actual was during uh, Helion okay, Kakao. Yeah,
2: that's what I was thinking too. Yes. Right.
0: Yeah. And then um, I saw you and I'm like, this girl looks familiar. Um, and then I remember I went by myself and I told Charlotte, there's just a little girl there. <laughs> And she's super intimidating. Like I, I, don't know if I ever told you, but you're super intimidating. Like you're running that show. And um, <laughs> like that doesn't,
2: not, doesn't, not, that doesn't not go together. There was this little girl, and she was super intimidating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, it was okay. So um, I was there representing High Hole, and I thought, okay, I need to represent the volunteer lens, right? Like, how do we think about volunteerism during this event? And I remember you had said something and then I had come, I took my first big breath and I said to the group, I'm not sure if a social media person should be a volunteer. And you looked at me and you kind of, your eyes narrowed and you said, why? And I said, and you said, I disagree. <laughs> And I said, because the volunteer may not know the um, voice and the marketing strategy that we're trying to achieve at this table or something like that. I said, I just, I meeked something out and you said, hmm, okay. And I don't know if that okay was like, oh, you're a dummy or if I made a good point. But I just looked at the ground after I think, and I was like, oh gosh, I think i didn't to so make your was,
2: I mean, me. that was what, nine years ago? Right.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Okay. That. Yeah. Wow. I was the Helion Kakaako. I my business was a few years old. It was the first time I felt like you know mm-hmm. I had had my office in Manoa Shopping Center, and that was a big step going from being a home office to having an office in Manoa Shopping Center, and then making uh-huh. the move from Manoa Shopping Center down to Kakaako was like, I'm going to play in the big leagues, mm-hmm. and What Mark and I talk about a lot now (laughs) is it's kind of nice that, I mean, I'm 38 years old. I'm by no means old, but I'm finally old enough that I feel like people actually take me seriously. Like, oh, she Mm -hmm. may actually know something. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas for, you know, the first (laughs) half, the first probably six years of my business, I felt like what you exactly said, Ryan, like you're... Uh, This little girl was there, and that's like I got patted on the head after presenting (laughs) for you know, Special Olympics or Easter shows or kind of these big organizations. And they're like, Oh, thank you, honey, and patted me on the head. And I'm like, Wait a minute, I'm running this thing here. You you just patted me on the head, like how degrading. And so, I kind of had a complex for the first six years of my business because I felt like no one took me seriously because I looked so young and I'm small. And, and so I think I overplayed mm-hmm. this toughness and, and for better or for worse, you know, it shaped me. I don't regret anything, but I, I kept a distance from my employees. I had this thought in my head, like you're an employee, uh-huh. you were not my friend, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I tried to be very private about my personal life and not connect with my employees. Because where the past, like, employer that I had come from, that was kind of the way they were. And and so I felt like mm-hmm. that's what I needed to be to be seen and respected. And, but it didn't ever mm-hmm. feel right. It didn't fit. Mm-hmm. It didn't fit yeah. my personality. And so it's nice now to, to have enough wrinkles, I guess. It, the kids really helped to. Um, expedite that process but to now kind of feel like I can be nice to people I can make jokes I can be more myself and connect with my employees Mm -hmm. and even you know my clients and my partners like you folks on a very personal level and feel confident that that's not going to affect how people view me as a as a leader and so I think from when we met, it was definitely, I was still very insecure as a business owner in that sense. And and then even in Helion Kaka'ako, it was like, okay, we're, here we are trying to plan this, like pretty, that was a pretty dynamic thing we pulled off as a group of us who came together randomly. Like, that was pretty, that was pretty bad. Oh, boy.
0: Yeah, it, it was a big, yeah. it was a big initiative. We... On our side, we prepped and we kept thinking about our plan yeah. over and over again. We pulled so many volunteers for it, but mm-hmm. you know, just to let you know, your your whole thing back then it really worked because <laughs> I was definitely <laughs> afraid of you.
2: So, I don't want any. I don't want people to be afraid of me. That is definitely not the vibe that I'm going. You know, that I'm going for. But I.
0: Oh, I think I think if they just add you on social media, they definitely know that that you're a fun person.
2: And I do I do not have the no cursing rule on my social media page, not even for my children. So.
0: Yes, yes, that's why that's why we didn't invite your children on because we're afraid they're going to drop f bombs. But that's funny, you know. I I, I was talking to Shar yesterday, and I said that your social media it's so open and, mm-hmm. I, and I recognize that it's not your it's not your social media it's your company's social media right isn't in your Instagram
2: so I would still consider mm-hmm. it to be my personal Instagram uh-huh. I have and as somebody in marketing and PR and communication and strategy um, I should probably have a separate very professional under my umbrella Um, social media, we have one for Peely Group that we never use. Um, We had one at Mission when we had a restaurant which we did use for sharing out menus and things but that's just not the the person or the company that we are. We are very much about experiences Mm -hmm. and about connecting and so I don't want you to hire us or partner with us because of what our social media looks like. Um, I want you to do it because you Mm -hmm. feel, we feel collectively that we can do good work together. And so I went back and forth on whether we should I should branch out and have just an under my umbrella social media and a personal one. But I get bored with business social media accounts, you know, it's just the it, it's it's it feels very forced to me often. And and not for all businesses, but especially like in the event and PR in comms world we're we're doing these things for our clients and there's a reason why we're doing them so anything we do for our client has a reason behind it but for for me for our business i don't really see the need for us to have separate accounts and i think it's almost like you said it's me being a little bit raw and a little bit honest of like this is who we are and so this is our work is not separate from our personal lives, and so why would I represent it as so um, on social media? Because, for better or for worse, for Mark and I, in in all of our projects, whether it was our restaurants, whether it was my business, whether it's Chefui, you see, it's very intertwined into both our mm-hmm. personal lives, our families, our community, our friends our clients Mm -hmm. it's all interwoven together and so it just felt uh, it didn't feel like it would be authentic to have separate accounts
0: yeah i I fully expect people to who work with you to expect your daughters to be there totally that's part of the deal that's right
2: ellie's (laughs) not old enough she'll be bossing people around
0: (laughs) yeah she's your number two she's gonna be like clean that up (laughs) i'm hungry (laughs)
2: yeah that one she's a great combo of both of Mark and I together, which is kind of a scary thing to think of in a human
0: <laughs> for those who are listening who may not know who you're referencing your husband um, my is husband
2: from... is chef Mark Noguchi, also known on the street as gooch and
0: how does Gooch feel about being married to someone famous like you um,
2: you know what it makes him it makes him so happy when people say oh you're Amanda's husband um, <laughs> and it's you know that's been a joke luckily I don't have a problem with it at all but that's it's so funny to be in the grocery store and people say it used to be like oh you're Gucci's wife I love how much he loves you like and so that's like okay so that's a good compliment then there's the Oh, you're Gucci's wife. You're so lucky. He must cook the most amazing meals for you all the time. And that were the, those are the ones where, that would like send me through the roof because little do you know, unless you have family, which you folks do, in the restaurant industry, that chefs pretty much live. Mm-hmm. They're married to their kitchen. That's where they are. And I mm-hmm. to, yes. again. I'm trying to mm-hmm. refrain. You know, I'm trying to keep my PC language here, but. I'm like, oh, really? Are you kidding me? I actually fix all the meals in our house because my husband yep. <laughs> is always cooking for you folks. He's always in the restaurant cooking for other people. And, you know, and that's mm-hmm. 100% true. Even when we had restaurants, Mark never lost his passion for cooking. Um, and he made it a rule that if he ever did, he would reevaluate his his time as a chef and, and his career choices and You know, now he works as a chef in a very different realm, but it's not because he was burnt out on cooking. Mm -hmm. And that's a really beautiful thing is that he never lost. I do know chefs who are so over cooking. They don't want to cook when they get home, but that is not Mark. So as Mm. much as it doesn't look like what people think it does, that I'm like sitting or maybe lounging with a glass of wine while Mark like, you know, hand delivers (laughs) a six course dinner to me. That is is never what it Uh looked like. It's usually us (laughs) cooking together with what we have randomly available in our fridge and what we can pull from our yard and what people have dropped off to us. And now it's what we can cook and involve our children in. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, those are a few of the the great comments that come. And now with the girls, they don't even talk to me anymore. (laughs) They look down at the girls and they're like, oh you're Gucci's <laughs> kids and I'm like yep and I'm here too the mom, I help create those <laughs> I happen to play a little role in creating those in those little ones down there
0: well I mean to be fair they yeah. have Gucci's eyes they have your <laughs> complexion though
2: well not this summer um, they've got their COVID beach bodies they're pretty brown these days <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah. it is summer after yep.
1: all. So yes.
2: <laughs>
0: well, I mean, and it's not a secret. I mean, I think um, of the four of you, three of you have your shirts <laughs> off all the time, <laughs> and it's not you.
2: Yeah. That's 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 correct. That is that is the true statement. Um, it helps keep cut down on the laundry for me, Ryan.
1: Yeah. Well, we're wearing the same clothes we wore to do a <laughs> delivery because
2: we have to oh, wear it at least twice. <laughs>
0: Yeah, if you're gonna spend the majority of your time going out in the car, then that doesn't count. You can you can fold it up and put it back. I agree,
2: especially if you're in air conditioning. (laughs) Yes, unless you're my husband, he still sweats in air conditioning. So we gotta wash. He doesn't get the two-time wear rule. Guess (laughs) the chef Bob.
1: That's why they can sweat any. They'll sweat anywhere. (laughs)
2: Yeah, and sadly, I think Ellie's got. She's our sweater too. I'm like my my little boxes. I think their temperature. That's why. I'm nervous about all this, you know, taking of temperatures. I think they run at about 99 to 100 on a regular basis. Mm. They're just like they're just hot bodies. Well, I think I
0: think if the world does collapse and society collapses, you can just put some kindling between the two of them. That's right.
2: Camping, (laughs) um, camping on on the Hawaii island, you know, places where it's cold. I know that I'm going to be okay. I just wedge myself between the two of them, and (laughs) I'm fine. Oh. Like my built-in <laughs> heaters.
0: And then you can use all the moisture collecting from their sweat <laughs> to like clean stuff. <laughs> and boil eggs or whatever.
2: Yep, that's <laughs> the, the perks.
0: So I wanted to ask you about your business. And um, if you had to tell someone what you did on a daily basis, like a quick elevator pitch of what your, your business does, what is it?
2: I'm coming to realize what, for under my umbrella, what we actually are versus which category we fall into we have to check a uh-huh. box mm-hmm. right there's there's what you are mm-hmm. from a like a corporate vision to what you actually are so we you know we are a right. event and communication company at surface level but really i think what we are is connectors we are storytellers we are experienced mm-hmm. creators We are dream catchers. We are here to help our community and not even help. We are here to be of service to our community and to all the people who are working toward a shared future of what we feel that Hawaii and the world should be. So for us to take on a client or to partner with someone, number one, there has to be the shared vision of why we're doing this work. Um, I get this from my father. I think it's like, you, you shouldn't just do something just to do it. There has to be a purpose, there has to be mm-hmm. a reason. Mm-hmm. And so the, the clients mm-hmm. and the partners that we take on, there has to be a reason why we are doing something. And whether it's creating a event, whether it's launching a campaign, whether it's celebrating the opening of a new locally owned business, whether it's helping a uh, a global brand understand how to be relevant in our islands, um, there has to be that shared vision of how that is going to be impactful in our communities and in uplifting people. So at the end of the day, that's, I think we're connectors. We are, also really happen to be really good at logistics. And because we've been working in the event Uh world for so Mm -hmm. long, I think we have this unique ability to be visionaries and dream big, and then also take that dream and put a system in place that allows us to work collectively together toward the success of that project. And I'm Mm -hmm. really, really happy that under my umbrella has created the opportunity for me to play in both of those worlds. And I'm, I'm a Pisces. And so by nature, as a child, I was very creative. I wanted to be drawing all the time, similar to my to my eldest, my Hiapo, Eleanor. Um, I was so drawn mm-hmm. to animals and the outdoors. I was a wanderer, kind of. Um, I loved the, I loved being a wanderer and, and dreaming big and thinking. And at the same time, my mother is, uh, like I said, she's a list maker. She's a perfectionist. She quit her job when she had me um, as a real estate appraiser and stayed home and started a daycare business in order to be home with us. And even with, a handful of kids running around all the time. Somehow our our house was always clean. Things were always put away. Um, there was no mm-hmm. dishes in the sink when we went to bed at night. I'm still working towards that level of perfectionism. I haven't created it there yet in my <laughs> adult life. But so I think through growing up with her as my, um, you know, as really like my model, I spent so much time with her then she also gave me this great gift of having that skill set of, of planning and of organizing and of list making and and strategizing. And so I feel like that helped me to be kind of unique in the sense that usually you're one or the other, you're either the big ideas person and you're like my husband Mm -hmm. and you have 17 notepads with ideas on it. And you're like, you know, like digging through piles, like where's that note that I had on the recipe that I was going to do? And like, you know, that (laughs) stresses me out, but I also can identify with him because I that I think by by nature is me. I am that creative all Mm -hmm. over the place person, but by nurture, by my mother, I am the organizer, the perfectionist Mm -hmm. strategy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to... Play in both those worlds and find ways to to weave them and intertwine them together to get results. And mm-hmm. I think my team shares in that as well. Um, the people who come on board to be part of under my umbrella and the Peely Group all are creative people, and you know, organize like being organized and making lists and stuff like that can also be taught. And that can there's some people that just have it more in them than others but if you can create a system then you can train people to become part of that system and i think that doing events and logistics for over a decade has allowed us to be able to take our systems and customize them to really any project that needs to be done and that's a beautiful thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: so uh- I don't know if it's accurate, but my perspective of you seeing what you do and the kind of work that we do together with Hi Ho and Under My Umbrella, it seems like to me that you work with the nonprofit community a lot. Is that fairly accurate?
2: Yeah, that's accurate. And that's, that's, that's why I started Under My Umbrella. After working in both the for-profit and the nonprofit world, I, I went to school to be a documentary filmmaker. Um, and I was super mm-hmm. rude. You didn't? Well, I
0: didn't know that.
2: That's what, no. that's what I went to school for. I mean, at the time, UH Manoa didn't have a uh, actual film degree. And so my, I was in the communications department with a focus on film. So I took all of the film production classes that they had. I double majored. I end up, I was obsessed with sociology. I, I originally thought I wanted to be a psychologist. So I took tons, you know, my first two years of college, I took tons of psychology classes and sociology classes. And I'm still very drawn to psychology and sociology. And I think that that's part of where I'm also drawn to the nonprofit world because I'm just drawn to people and how we as humans interact and work in groups and I'm fascinated by that through doing film through doing documentary film here with, I worked um, with Edgy Lee for four years. So I started as an intern with her and stayed with her through graduating from, from college. And I got, I was part of the ice epidemic films that were uh, special with Mm -hmm. Matt Levi back in the day. Mm -hmm. I got to go along on drug Bus. I mean, I got as a, Howly girl from Missouri at, at, the you know, young age of 20, I was going along on some of these really intense experiences. And it, it helped me to understand that there was a lot of depth to Hawaii, um, mm-hmm. that
1: mm-hmm. it
2: wasn't just beaches. And you know, what I think maybe a typical college experience, I think it could be easy to move here. And go to college here, like I did. I moved here when I was nineteen for college, and you could just see Sandys and Mokihana dorms, and uh, you know, and UH mm-hmm. and Magoo's at the time, and and all of these, you know, experiences that are kind of stereotypical of what Hawaii is about. But through uh-huh. sociology classes with Robin Mann, who I credit as a mentor to me she probably who knows if she even remembers me as a student i took all of her classes at KCC, um but we would go on field trips in neighbor islands and meet with community members and hear what struggles they had in their rural communities um what strengths they had what education looked like um what uh, Multi generational living look like. And I was fascinated by understanding these communities. And then I think that that knowledge really piqued my interest in the work Edgy was doing. And the work Edgy was doing and all those experiences, I got pretty involved in volunteering for numerous nonprofits here. So I was drawn to the nonprofit world. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left mm-hmm. Edgy, I left to join the Special Olympics and that was because of volunteering through the special olympics i was really drawn to their clientele i was drawn to mm-hmm. to showing up for um people with disabilities and i felt i felt connect i felt connected i felt like i could understand them and and they were they fulfilled a certain um like love and like seeing of a a human to a human that I, that you don't get sometimes with, with people. And, and Uh like this raw beauty, you know, this raw beauty of honesty and, and love and compassion. And so I made the jump to the nonprofit world because of that, through that experience, through special Olympics and volunteering at other nonprofits. I also saw and was disheartened by the fact that because as a nonprofit raising funds is so vital to the success of the organization, but it's so hard mm-hmm. to be able to stay true to your mission and do it to its full capacity while also chasing money. And, and that, often mm-hmm. like something yeah. had to give, like you couldn't do either thing to a hundred percent because you didn't have enough resources to make it happen. And so after I, I left special Olympics after four years, my sister was getting married in Ireland. I had been working nonstop since the age of 14. To be honest, I started um, as a gymnastics teacher when I was 14 and then I was doing both gymnastics and uh, working as a hostess through high school, um, I uh, like uh, you know like a restaurant hostess. Let's be clear.
0: <laughs> oh well, I figured you said you did gymnastics, so I I, I wasn't gonna judge you. If You know how to <laughs> if you're flexible. I mean, you I have a career a in either. At
2: a little Italian restaurant in Springfield, Missouri. That's where I still have several dishes that I make that I learned from that restaurant that my husband. Begs for so maybe that's where I also found my passion <laughs> for food was Freddie Coco this handsome Italian guy that started the restaurant he was bat oh, oh, crazy there it, there it was you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> yes he was a you know this crazy Italian guy in this very small town in the Midwest and I think I was also drawn to he was just so different than most people in Springfield and so I loved I loved watching him, but not to go too far down my rabbit hole. I had been working my whole life, and here I was, you know, um, 24 at Special Olympics, and had you know put on large scale fundraising events. I had overseen capital campaigns for Special Olympics. I had done all these things, but I never felt like I had enough time to do them to the level I wanted to do them. But I felt like if someone understands the nonprofit world, but can pull that work outside of the nonprofit so that then the nonprofit can focus on their mission and like at mm-hmm. at the events mm-hmm. at the you know at the galas if the people who are supposed to be engaging and building the relationships for the nonprofit can actually spend the time having deep conversations with their donors versus wondering whether or not the silent auction is going or the MCs on the stage like then that's right. how that nonprofit can grow. And I want to be the person that helps them do that. And so that's, I, I think I took that break of leaving Special Olympics, going to Ireland for my sister's wedding, traveling throughout Europe. Um, I traveled by myself. It was really important for me. I wanted to go alone and, and give myself time to think. So traveling for those three months was was really eye-opening for me and I, I think it also helped me build the confidence like that I can do this on my own I didn't go to business school I don't really know a lot about how to start a business um, but I do know a lot about connecting with people and about executing events mm-hmm. and 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 communications and I'm passionate about that and I think there, there's a saying I don't know exactly what it is but you know if you if you just if you work if you just work all the time and aren't fulfilling your passion then what are we even what are you even doing but if you can make your passion your work then it doesn't feel so much like work and and that's what i felt strongly mm-hmm. about with showing up for non-profit so that was that was why i started i I knew well enough that in order to gain again going back to my little girl I looked like i was i looked like I was nineteen or younger and i was I was really young i was twenty four when I really started my business um I was mm-hmm. young, and so a lot of things were on a let me help you with this as a volunteer first mm-hmm. and you know, charging very little for the services I was providing mm-hmm. to some of the mm-hmm. organizations that I had been volunteering for and going to them and saying, Hey, look, I'm gonna start a business to do this. Would you be interested in hiring me? I know I've been doing this kind of as a volunteer, but I want to take it to the next level. And people like the Surfrider Foundation, um, the East West Center were were some of my first clients that I I provided those services for, and I think they helped me to prove that there was there was a need for this. And through word of mouth, that's how we mm-hmm. continued to grow. And for a long time, it was just me. And uh, then I brought on like my first assistant, which you guys probably remember, Marissa Jacob. Um, we hey, miss Risa. you, but mm-hmm. she is now successfully um, overseeing all the events and managing a botanical garden in Florida. And she, on a regular basis, oh, wow. reaches out and says, if it wasn't for my time with you, I wouldn't have had the confidence to do this. And, you know, shes I have so much love and heart for her and being one of the first people on board with me. We just continue to grow. And I realize that there has to be a balance. Like, it's not just about educating the nonprofits and partnering with them and and helping them grow it was also really my kuleana to help the donors and to help corporations and businesses understand where their role falls in showing up for the nonprofit world and that's a lot of what we do mm-hmm. now is we're pretty much we're probably 50/50 50, 50 of nonprofit clients and for profit clients and i i joke we're like we're like a dating service we're like Tinder, Tinder for community <laughs> relationships. Where we, I want to find people that fit together and help help us to grow uh, community initiatives together in ways where everyone benefits. And it's not I'm giving you mm-hmm. something or you're getting something. Like we're all just being in service together. Right. Nobody is weaker and nobody is stronger. And I didn't like that like Mm -hmm. kind of that stereotype that nonprofits are weak and they're poor and we need to help them. And, you know, corporations are strong and powerful and they have all the answers and they're going to give you money. Like to me, if that's at all where anyone's thought process is, we got to start from the ground up and rebuild that. As a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. you are not Mm -hmm. weak. You are actually the strength of our community. You are what ties us together. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we are honored as Mm -hmm. businesses to invest in you. As a business, you can be of service to a nonprofit and you can bring your tools to the table and your tool might be money or your tool might be resources or your tool might be connections, but we're all just bringing our own tools or our own instruments. Um, We're bringing all of those things to a table as a community, And we're, we're rising together Mm -hmm. in doing so. And, and that's really the mission work I think of, of under my umbrella. And so the heart for the nonprofit world is still very much there and alive, but I think we're actually being a better service by also investing in working with companies and businesses to see how they fit into that as well.
0: Yeah. I think it just takes someone with, you know, vision, to kind of teach people that things can be different and obviously the events that i've seen you run they're the cleanest and the smoothest events i've seen and even when things go wrong it the way that you adapt and change and pivot is it's very remarkable i mean yeah you do a great job not to you know well we I'm have three partners yep. and you
2: guys uh you know at hi ho <laughs> are a huge a huge part of that and i think it wouldn't work if we didn't have that same shared vision of showing up for our community and and, and being patient and, and being kind and approaching things from a place mm-hmm. of, like, how can we find a solution? We try and say, like, nothing mm-hmm. ever goes wrong. It might go different than what we had planned, but it's creating an Absolutely. opportunity for us to rethink And to be creative and to be innovative in finding a solution. And from that, we grow. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Is all of that written in that thick, huge binder that you carry around with every weekend?
2: Yeah. And it's on, you know, I've got a song that I sing about it. You know,
0: you keep talking about singing. You you mentioned you sing.
2: No, I actually am a terrible singer. Half the time I was in chorus, I was lip syncing. (laughs) I wanted to be able to sing. But I still, um, my daughters, I think, are the only people that think I'm actually a good singer.
0: Well, we might have to put you to the test. Um, okay, so not to put you on the spot, this is going to be really quick and not to put you out of business, but you mentioned nonprofits and the way that they run events and why can it be different? And you brought that to the table. I see that you've innovated and you've, you've made uh, events seem smooth and seamless. If you could share off the top of your head, and we're not talking about any one nonprofit or any for-profit, just events in general. What is like one of the biggest things that you change immediately when you come in? What is one thing universally that almost everyone makes the same mistake?
2: I, I think one is, one is in what I said earlier, is in like, in how, and sometimes how they view themselves or how they are going to approach and ask of like, oh, mm-hmm. like we're the poor nonprofit that needs like, no, 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 no. no. The first thing Mm -hmm. we should say is like, what is your value? What do we bring to our community? And let's make sure that that's top of mind of what we are Mm -hmm. delivering to, to our community and to potential funders or potential future volunteers, or is like, these are the strengths that you have. Um, The other thing, and you've probably Mm -hmm. witnessed me doing this before is like, why, why are we doing this? why are are we just doing it because you've been doing it for 25 years because if that's the reason why i have told many a people i will help you with this but i'm not sure you should still be doing this and so until you can give me the why this event or this campaign is happening i'm not going to come we're not going to come on board and so (laughs) That's what we. That's one of the mm-hmm. first things is why are we doing this? And that doesn't mean usually we still end up doing some sort of an event. We're just not. We're we're. It might change because the why might change, and we're happy to be the people that help mm-hmm. them reinvent what the why is. But there has to be a why, mm-hmm. and and the why can't be just to raise money. Oh right. yeah, um, absolutely. So those not. are two of the things I think we first take the approach of, and. And we kind of like to take like the plan and throw it in the air and say like, okay, let's like, let's think we might come back to some of those things, but like, let's think outside of the box about other things we could potentially do. And I think we always try with our clients to at least tackle one thing that they feel very uncomfortable doing because I think in Mm -hmm. uncomfortable is where we grow. And then from that growth, we build confidence in that entire team and then hopefully we also build trust and for us we have found that if Mm -hmm. we cannot trust collectively together as a team working on a project then we will not succeed and unfortunately we've Mm -hmm. had a few of those clients as well where there just wasn't the trust there and you know now being a decade into my business I could take on I can see where some of that was me an example will be One of our first clients in the beginning was Japanese, like from Japan. And at that time, I didn't understand enough about Japanese culture to understand how to approach them as someone that I did not have a relationship with. And so then the working relationship became very hard because I had to prove and explain every single decision we made. And I was like, we're wasting so much time. We could be doing so much more if I wasn't constantly having mm-hmm. to explain our reasoning behind this and ultimately it just became too much for me I it, you know I realized we were not going to reach our mm-hmm. shared goal because we I couldn't get them there I couldn't get them to meet me where I was at but I think if I would have invested more time in the beginning mm-hmm. in building that relationship and building the trust we probably could have done really great work together. Yeah.
0: And what organization yeah, 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 yeah. Is this specifically? Sadly,
2: I don't think they're around anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh.
0: I think because you didn't help them raise money. <laughs>
2: oh, wow. Did you hear my husband? we the- <laughs> got the sound effects here. Yes. This is Amanda's
0: podcast, Scooch. Um,
2: so I hope did that did that answer? Did I answer the question? Sounds-
0: <laughs> you did. Yes, absolutely. You did. And That's I think, good. I really think that it's important. See, so yeah, it's really fascinating that inherently we know that we have a connection with you. Inherently, mm-hmm. we know that. But to hear you kind of lay out your methodology and your, your reasons why you do the things you do, it really does align with a lot of philosophies that we hold.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: we never really talked about that. We just kind of knew that we kind of oh we kind of crushed on each other and we are kind of just let it go from there. It's,
1: it's, it's crazy. Like, listening to you speak about even talking about your mom, like just, <laughs> you're basically describing my mom. the reason why i make lists and carry like a planner around with me is because of my mom it's crazy all 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 of my mom's daughters my sisters we all have like a book where we make lists it's it's because of my mom and same with ryan he his mom um watched kids for money uh, as far as like a daycare (laughs) is concerned don't tell the
0: irs we didn't file taxes
1: (laughs) you know she did that she did that and like your dad had said about how, you know, you don't do something unless you absolutely, like it has some meaning for you. Like that's my dad, my dad, that's basically my dad. My dad's kind of like, don't do that unless you are having fun at it or you're getting some sort of joy out of it, you know? And so it's it's not, it's, before I was kind of like, I'm not sure why we connect, maybe because we've all like nonprofit We like giving back to the community, but everything you talked about kind of, aligns with exactly some point in time we have had connection Mm. with it ryan Mm. sociology major you know everything as far as like being creative that's that's how i see myself i see myself as one foot in creative and one foot list maker which is unheard of
2: and if you have a creative normally they're all over the
1: place well,
0: okay. I want to be clear that I'm a sociology major, but like you, I loved psychology. And um, I took lots of psychology classes. I did well in some, and I failed a lot of them. And UH Manoa, at one point, I said, I want to be a psychology major. And they <laughs> said, okay, you know, there's a GPA requirement. And according to <laughs> according to your grades, you would need to get uh, nine B's and one A in your next 10 okay. classes to make the minimum GPA requirement. And I literally said, <laughs> do you know where the sociology office is? And they said, yeah, they don't have a GPA requirements. You, requirement. you should have started with me at
2: KCC. So <laughs> as, as I mentioned, you know, I, I moved here and I was 19. I presented my parents with my first business plan when I was still in high school that said, because I wanted to go to KU. <laughs> and I wanted to go to KU and be a Jayhawk because my best friend's super popular, beautiful sister went to KU and we visited her at her sorority. And I'm like, Oh, like that's, you know, I want to be a Southern girl. I want to be a, (laughs) but then I also had this like deep feeling in me, like, but is that really what I really want? I, I want, I always had this pull for like more. And I think that's where I was, you know, I was drawn to like, the Italian crazy chef in, you know, in the restaurant I worked in because they were so eccentric. i come from a a town of primarily white people and, you know, everyone, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, amazing place. It was such a wonderful place to grow up with a simple, authentic life as a child, but I was drawn to more. I wanted to, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be an in a, place where there was a lot of different ethnicities and cultures and religions and thoughts. And I think I'm, I also, my parents always said I would be an attorney because I love a good argument. So maybe that's like part of why I was drawn to a place where there was like diversity (laughs) and conflict too. I was, I'm kind of drawn to, to conflict and not for the reasons of argument, but from curiosity. And I really credit my dad with that. Like, Kimmy Warner, who was a dear friend of ours and was like my dad's number one hero. Um, she said to me shortly after my dad passed last year and it sticks with me and it's actually been like a pivotal moment in understanding myself. And she said, I love, I loved your dad's curiosity for life. And I had never really, you know, my dad will talk to anybody. Um, and he'll talk to them for half an hour. Like we would be filling up with gas at the gas station and half an hour later, we're like in the car with the air conditioning, <laughs> broken, like, broken, like sweating, like, come on, dad. And he's like, you know, talking to some guy who pulled up next to him about the wheels on his car or, you know, oh, you're from there. I rode my bike. And then, you know, it's like off and running with this conversation. And, you know, there's part of me as a teenager who was annoyed by that. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing. And even as an adult, you know, my dad would corner Kimmy at events and talk to her for like 45 minutes. And I'm like, oh man, like, Kimmy's gonna kill me. My dad is like, won't let her go. And afterwards, Kimmy is like, I just had the best conversation with your dad. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are you being serious? Or did, are you like, so do I need to like, lock him up and next time you're you're around and he's like no I just so much from him And, and so it also like the the curiosity was really is really part of something and and that came from my that came from my dad and I I own that now like I think before I felt a little ashamed sometimes of my dad being such a talker to people and even for myself but curiosity I think is what drew me to sociology and psychology and part of that but where this went from I think I've mm-hmm. told you guys right so conversations with me mm-hmm. are like ahupua'a ah. so like the water's running down and then like we're overfeeding the lo'i for a minute and now we're to come back and where but I didn't lose it I did for a second but what we <laughs> were talking about is me going to KCC I moved here I couldn't afford out-of-state tuition at KS or my parents couldn't so my choice was to go to SMS in Springfield, where we're from. And I looked at in-state tuition at KCC, at the community college in Hawaii. And it was like $300 cheaper a semester than, than at SMS in Missouri. And uh-huh. I said, okay, here's the deal, mom <laughs> and dad. I'm going to move to Hawaii with my best friend, Julian. I, I, want, I need your help for a year. After a year, I will be financially independent. I will pay for my own college. I'm going to get in-state tuition and you can get it after a year. I've already done the research. I can take one class a semester and still stay under what you are considered as someone who moved here as a student versus as a resident. I'm going to work full-time at Dukes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get my insurance through Dukes. I'm going to be able to pay all my own bills. I'm going to save up money in that first year to be able to pay for school and I'll only take as Many classes as I can afford. And if it takes me longer to get through college, so Mm -hmm. be it. I'm in Hawaii. (laughs) Who cares? Um, So that's what I did. (laughs) I moved. I got a job within like the first week. Um, I'm still close and serve on boards and talk to the guys who hired me and we collaborate on things. I worked there for, I think, almost five years. Cause that's how long it took me to get through college. I took pretty much every single class they offered at KCC. <laughs> I lived a block away. I lived with a girls so I could walk to school. Um, I rode my bike to Duke's to work. I didn't have a car for the first three years I lived here, and I got in-state tuition. And I was so drawn to Robin Mann, the sociology teacher at KCC. We like actually would be like Mariah, who you guys know, who's my number two. Her and I went to KCC together. We pretty much have been working together since we were nineteen. Whether at Dukes for Edgy Lee, um, we've you know we've like mm. had these pivotal life experiences together, which I think is why we work so well together in running Umu. But we would ask Robin like, uh-huh. "Okay, we took all your classes. Can you create another class for us?" <laughs> And so I did my (laughs) AA at KCC and continued to still take some classes there while taking the classes I needed at UH. So I graduated from UH Manoa with a double major in sociology and uh, in communications. But I'm still now as like a 38-year-old thinking like, I think I might want to go back to school and get a master's in something that has to do with sociology Um, because I'm still so drawn to it (laughs) because I'm so bored because I have nothing else to do. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Or just for fun, huh? Yeah.
0: <laughs> for all you kids out there, success isn't right. given to you. You have to earn it. I can't, that sound, I'm getting <laughs> exhausted listening to you talk about how you worked and went to school. And obviously, you passed all your classes. I don't know what that's like. Yeah, Ryan,
1: right. Yeah, right. she graduated in five years.
2: <laughs> I graduated with a 4.0, I think. Should I have
0: expected anything less?
2: No oh, type A. I'm at a type A, very much so. But you know, back then, I don't know how it is now, but I'm not gonna lie, Mariah and I definitely like talked our way into some grades.
1: Oh no, it's the same. It was this it was the same when we went. I <laughs> you mean, can, you there's can there's things i you know, taking
2: tests is like my total <laughs> weakness. And I'm sad to say for my daughters, I'm afraid that they're gonna have the same like give me an essay, give me a speech, like give me like I can excel. Give me mm-hmm. a standardized test, and I'm like hiding under the desk
0: I think that's where i I skirted by by being a good test taker. I have a very strong sense of short term memory, uh, so cramming was very effective to me. I just needed c's you know to get by
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it was it, it i couldn't I couldn't do it. I tried to do the cramming, and i'm like the logic in me, I'm like, this makes no sense. I'm not going to remember any of this. Why is this relevant? Why is cramming something that we are being forced to do in school? Like, yeah, it's the education that can be another that can be another topic. The education. Oh well,
1: yeah, applied applied knowledge versus <laughs> test taking is.
2: That's why during COVID, luckily it's different because our daughters are in preschool and in kindergarten. But we are like, okay, one hour of school. In the morning, we showed up to maybe one of every three Zoom meeting, classroom calls that they had, and other. And we started our own like future farmers of Tantalus chapter, and got chickens and just went real hard (laughs) into the like urban farming, uh, raising chicken and farm animal world. Because I'm like at the end of the day, street smarts are what are going to keep you alive, ladies. So I got We got We're going to do a deep dive yep. into into Street Smart. Yep.
0: You're taking, you're taking a very German approach to um, you know, youth education, kindergarten with hands on, uh, <laughs> you know, hands on exploration. But I mean, during this time in COVID, I mean, everything's different anyway. Totally. My
2: grandmother was a school teacher in Germany, so maybe piece that together. Ah. <laughs>
0: So she yeah. took the kids hiking and said, "Make yeah, yourself it's, a tent um, or you don't come back.
2: That's, I mean, I think that was part of my upbringing in Missouri as well.
0: Well, speaking of COVID, I have another question for you. Not to give away all the secrets, you know. I would hate to think that someone's going to listen to this podcast and be like, we don't need yeah. to hire Amanda. We got it. She gave away no. all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the future of nonprofits going to be like after COVID? with all social distancing and we'll do events. So I'm I know be you've thought super about it.
2: honest, um, as far as events go, we are currently working with a few of our clients on virtual events and I'm saying, I feel confident saying this cause I've already told them this as well and they still hired us, but that is not my passion. Um, creating virtual events doesn't do it for me. It is, um, I see that right now in this, unique time, it is a necessity. And I think there are some things about virtual experiences that get me excited, but taking uh, a usual fundraising event and then just turning it into something that's now going to be hosted virtual, that in my predictions will burn out very quickly. Um, Fundraising events were already so Mm -hmm. saturated that going to a ballroom and eating a dry piece of chicken you know like i I give our chefs a lot of credit in our hotel industry here in hawaii they've really elevated the food experience in the past five years in hotels and in kind of these corporate settings that used to be pretty like dry and you weren't there for the food um but that is already very saturated market the virtual experience in that sense, I think is going to saturate so much more quickly because we're already spending so much time on Zoom calls and, and doing things behind our computer. I don't think it is a healthy thing to then take our free time that we have away from work and create something that requires people to stare at their screens. That goes, that does not align with Mm -hmm. my mission Mm -hmm. and my values. I am still very, very driven mm-hmm. towards creating experiences and creating spaces for human connection. Uh, and I agree there is still mm-hmm. ways for us to connect via Zoom. Like, you know, talking stories, seeing both of your faces, laughing with you right now on a screen is meaningful to me. It You know, it has meaning. But it's not something that I think that we should take events to that, to that world and there's only so many one hour specials that can happen before people are going to stop tuning in to them yeah. <laughs> um, and there's ways to get creative with right. them like a great example of a very successful online event I think would be Kukua Fest that just happened at, you know, more in the beginning of COVID mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Mark and I were very honored and blessed to be able to be part of that with Kim and Jack and um, they sh- they you know shine mm-hmm. some spotlight on Chef Hui and what we are doing. Mark did a fun cooking demo. They had amazing musicians playing. See when you when you don't allow me to curse now I replace it with amazing. I've realized is what happens. So we should maybe just bleep through the or count the amount of times I use the word amazing.
0: <laughs> well, you've already given me my bucket list, right? Po- <laughs> creating the podcast was on the bucket list. I'm very happy. But I'm like, no one swore yet. There so I go. haven't had to bleep there anybody. You so you're my first bleep. Yay. To
1: Granted, I think other people struggled to not swear. But that's my disclosure. <laughs> Amazing is
2: the word that now is being overused because I can't curse.
0: The Cocoa Fest fundraiser, the online streaming, we were out and about driving around and I knew that you had given us the time that you're going to be on. I made oh, sure yeah. that my phone was ready to go. And we drove. Yeah. So we watched it on the way on the drive and we watched you guys cook and we're like, this is so great. You incorporated your kids so well into it that I was like, mm-hmm. this is just more than just a cooking demo. And I really appreciate that you want to be human with everybody.
2: Yeah. And I think especially that time, I mean, mm-hmm. as we all can agree, where we're at now during this whole COVID pandemic, stay at home, go to the beach, don't go to the beach. Now you can go to the store, you can't go to the store. You know, it's this roller coaster that we're on. And during that time, it was still very scary. I think that was a time when people were very scared. But we were prepping for a 1100 person food distribution the day it was showing. And I felt a little sad at Mm -hmm. first that we couldn't be home as a family, like all the other families, sitting on the couch, eating popcorn, and having a cone of seltzer while we watch this, you know, beautiful performance, then realized like, but this is who we are. Mark and I are watching it um, kind of half watching and half listening with it on my phone um, and in a cup to try and amplify the sound mm-hmm. <laughs> so we could hear it while we were sorting <laughs> produce for the distribution we had the next day. So that's how we viewed it is, you know, in that. And so Our girls watched it. My brother and Alex were home in our house watching the girls while Mark and I were out. So they got to watch it. And I felt a little sad that I didn't get to watch it with our kids, you know, when it debuted. But I said, but this is actually very Mm. realistic of of our lifestyle. And we felt it was important to include our kids and to keep it light and fun because so much of what we see on the television or on our computers is negative. It's about... You know what's happening in inequalities and what's happening in politics and what's happening with COVID and people sick, and there's so much negative things that we have to try and also offset that by positive and fun things as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: that video did oh, cause really? a big controversy here with me and Shar. And, and it's not about <laughs> your child licking the spoon.
2: Oh, whether you cover. The mochi was foil yes, or not. <laughs> yes, Yes. Yeah. That's correct. I saw
0: that and I stood up and all the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I'm like, I don't agree yeah, with that.
2: That's, that's my husband's battle. You got to have that yeah, I'm not concerned him.
0: about um, licking the spoon with the eggs. I don't care about that. The foil. Mm, the foil. Yeah, that's that's fighting words. I mean. yeah, that was the, the Hawaiian
2: Airlines one. That was the, that was the mochi one was with our Hawaiian Airlines demo. but same thing, We had our girls involved in, in that one mm. as well. Um, But so I think, yes, like, so there's, but the goal of those, and it did raise funds, but the goal was really to be an uplifting, inspiring and educational space. And so I think that for the, for the two events that we have lined up to be virtual events, one is with Nakamakai, and it's their Paakai Gala. And it's going to be very Mm -hmm. a partnership. It's honoring people who are Mm. stewards of the land and ocean and sustainability and the future generations of Aloha Aina Um, and what they represent in the community and who their community partners are. It felt right for that to still be a virtual event because they, it's going to be very much about uh, education of what Nakamakai does. Not a lot of people know about Nakamakai and, They're, you know, the ocean safety is a big part of their mission, but really what they are doing and why I resonate to their mission Mm -hmm. is if we educate our children about ocean safety, that means they will feel comfortable being in, in the ocean and in water and on a beach. And if you are in the ocean, you can't help but love it and respect it and care for it. And if you care for the ocean, then you're much more likely Mm -hmm. to care for the land. And if we can embed those beliefs in our Mm -hmm. youth, then we don't have to talk to them about what food sustainability is and what farming is. And because they already will care about it. And I think that's something that we collectively here as a small group, we found that is true to us. My mom didn't say, care about the environment. My dad didn't say, you need to recycle. They just did it. And so then it became part of me and part of Mm -hmm. the choices I make every day, part of the choices my children will make was because that was ingrained in us through experience, not through preaching. And so for them to be able to get that education out there, Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of the same. And that's the beauty, right? Of like what it says on paper you are and your mission is, but actually what are you creating, what comes out of the work that you do is sometimes much more impactful than than the mission of your of your organization. And I think that's true for Hi Ho, and I think that's true for Under My Umbrella and for Peely Group and for Nakamakai and for you know the clients that we partner with is it's not just about the mission, it's about the ripple effect of fulfilling that mission all the other things that lines up along the way.
0: You know, you mentioned that you're doing uh, 11,000 food distribution mm-hmm. the day of your, um, your yes, cooking demo. Yes, that was part was of that Chef, Chef Hui? And that
2: was like in the beginning, like, holy moly, there are so many people in need of food. That's when the schools hadn't figured out their, Feeding programs yet. It was like when it was still really in the thick of things.
0: So Chef Hui responded very early on in in the local community during the COVID nineteen crisis. Uh, what was kind of your guys's interest? Well, I mean, you've talked about it already. I'm gonna still ask it. What was your motivation and so with Chef, Chef Hui? Hui and how did that kind like, of come roll about? Roll back
2: three years ago, and Mark and I were choosing to close down our restaurants. Um, we were still gonna keep our catering company as part of peely Group but we had found that in order to be effective, we no longer felt like restaurants were the best place for that to happen for us. Um, and and it, going back to like the passion, like if you can make your passion your work. And so for Peely Group, as we are expanding, okay, now we're not gonna have restaurants, but we still want Peely Group to be a tool and a resource in our community. Our, our three main goals are community, education, and food. Um, all of those things intertwined together Mm -hmm. are what inspire us to partner or to to do a project. And we had been working with several nonprofit partners, Conservation International, um, Hawaii Ulu uh, Co-op, other people who are kind of in the Aloha Aina and taking care of the land and food sustainability and food systems. And there was always these roles to be played by chefs. In the sense of if we're going to educate people on sustainable seafood and what that looks like Chefs really have to be our spokespeople because if you have a scientist or a PhD Explaining to you why food sustainability and you know thinking outside of the box and not just eating ahi and mahi all the time It's probably gonna go over somebody's head but if a chef can cook that food for you and show you what it's like to eat Kole and and educate you through experience on ta'ape and that it tastes really yummy and it's invasive um, and it's something that is sustainable for us to eat, that's how we're going to connect with people. And so we thought, what if we start a program, of Pili group, so that we can, it's not just Mark and I in our small team, but a way for us to make it about us as a collaboration of chefs and food people and to be able to create those experiences for other chefs Mm -hmm. who, I mean, so many chefs are so talented and so passionate about food and ingredients, but they're so tied to their kitchen, they don't even have the time to think about who they would partner with to to do a food demo or Mm -hmm. to sit on a panel or to attend a summit and share their mana'o with a group of people. And so we felt like if we could be the people to kind of help connect them together, that that would be a real service to both the chef and to the community. And so that's how Chef Hui was, that's where it came from. Um, Fast forward to COVID happening, and Mark and I are like, oh boy, this is going down. And having Mariah in Japan, we could kind of see through what she was experiencing, the possibility of what things might be like here. And we were like, oh man, okay, this is gonna be a huge hit on our economy. And if we go into the stay at home orders, which we think we will based on what we're seeing, it's almost spring break. What are our restaurants gonna do with all that extra food they ordered, all the events that are, you know, hotels are all at like 100% during spring break. And mm-hmm. because we had worked, um, for a long time with Aloha Harvest, mm-hmm. and we've worked with Kim and Jack on a bunch of projects. I was already in bed on my phone, and Mark was still in his office. And I called Phil, who is the new executive director of Aloha Harvest, and said, hey, things aren't looking good for us as a community, but for you and your organization's mission, you're getting ready to be the most sought-after nonprofit there is to show up mm-hmm. in rescuing all this food. And I just know mm-hmm. we're here for you mark and i are here for you and so is our team and i know that as soon as we put the kaheya out there so will our chef community so let mm-hmm. us know how mm-hmm. we can be of service and mark at the same time sent an email to kim and jack and said hey if they extend spring break there's going to be a lot of kids who aren't getting meals Do you know Mm -hmm. if there's a plan in place to help them? And if there is, let us know how we can be of service. So I think the next day I said, okay, let's start action. And we started calling our chefs and said, are you guys closing down? Do you have extra food? Can we set up somebody to pick it up? We started calling potential kitchens that could be places for cooking. We just kind of went for it. And it wasn't something that Mark and I, talked about and had a long deep conversation i mean i think i've always dreamed of being this couple in business together who like carve out all this time to sit down and really brainstorm but unfortunately that hasn't you know we're, we're working on doing more of that but you know in the time of a pandemic it's also like okay we need to take action now so we just found ways that we could be of service through utilizing our network and even really through our clients, I was very impressed by how much our corporate client called immediately and said, "What, Amanda, what, what should we do to help? Mm-hmm. As their communications director, they didn't call me and say immediately, like, what kind of messaging should we be sending out? Mm-hmm. They actually cared about our community and how they could help. And that's where for me, it was like the chicken skin moment. That's why they were our partners. Their initial response was not how are we going to take care of ourselves? But it was, how can we show up for our community? Mm-hmm. And so very quickly, there was this large hui of people who were showing up to be of service. I spent the first few weeks overwhelmed on all these different Zoom calls and phone calls with community leaders and, you know, like all the different food systems people and the neighbor island coordinators for the Good Food Alliance and, you know, the the DOE and... Appleseed and all these people that I worked with very intimately like 10 years ago when I was doing Hawaii Food Policy Council and really involved in that, kind of all the same people. And then because we're systems people, what I started doing is taking all those people's names and putting them into spreadsheets. And that's where my staff and our team were really Helpful and I'm like, okay, here's this person's name. This this is what they're doing. This is their feedback. And just trying to be a place for gathering all that information and then sharing that with everyone who we are on calls with. So the first month we just had this master binder that had crazy, ridiculous lists of people and what they were doing and and you know their websites and their forms for where you could request for food and all these different things. And just trying to create a space where we could share that information together. And then after we felt like we were getting some of these systems in place, then it was really like, okay, how can we help get food to people? And I think early on, I called you guys and said, will you help us? Can you help be drivers for moving food? Um, can you help be? Tr- we're going to do some distributions. Can you help be traffic directors? And that's where it's beautiful to have these pre-existing relationships built on trust where, <laughs> You and I didn't have to be on three hour calls coming up with a plan. We already know how we work together. So we're like, okay, you guys are going to be in charge of this. We're going to do this. You're going to do this. And just trusting that everyone was going to do mm-hmm. their role because we already had that foundation laid. I
0: believe that was a very quick conversation. It was, hey, we're doing this. Do you guys want to help? And we said, yep.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and we said, we'll check in on the logistics later. And, you know, and sometimes the logistics check-in was like a text message, like, does this look okay to you? <laughs> and you're like, yes, that's okay. And I'm like, okay, great. That's what we're going to do. And, you know, you have to be rapid in response. And mm-hmm. But then at the same time, thinking about the future. So as we're collecting all this rescued food, I'm like, oh man, this is going to run out very quickly. Everyone stopped ordering. We can't have our farmers stop farming. And mm-hmm. Kim Johnson and I got on a call and talked through things. and. We agreed that we had to put a system in place to be able to raise private funds to keep farmers farming and to keep chefs cooking Mm -hmm. while we're feeding community. And we wanted to be able to purchase from farms. I didn't want to ask them for donations, understanding that farmers operate on even a smaller profit margin than restaurants do. And that's saying Mm -hmm. a lot. Restaurants operate on a really small profit margin. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we came up with the give and go program, which is, the program where we provide chefs or restaurants who are offering takeout during COVID with a $8 stipend um, per, per meal for them to prepare a meal using as many locally sourced ingredients as possible and then turning that into a community meal that can be picked up by a volunteer, which thanks to Hi Ho and Hawaii Life, we had amazing volunteers picking up the meals and then getting them out to the community organizations that were feeding people and that was another thing for us is we i don't i'm i don't like the reinventing of the wheel if it already exists and i think covid has really shine light on the fact that there's a lot of people doing really great work and if there was a better system for them to collaborate which i think through covid that system is now in like being created and we will have in the next year to 16 months um, where instead of instead of trying to do and set up and and save and save and send things to a community and try and figure out how to feed them the best thing to do is connect with someone who was already very active Mm -hmm. in that community and just get them the resources Mm -hmm. that they needed to feed their community and to feed them with integrity was a really Like, you know, Mm -hmm. what we've talked a lot about is we all have gifts to give. We try and think of our communities as a place of abundance and not of scarcity. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to do that during a pandemic when you're losing your job and, you know, and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. But through being, through trusting in your community and that we will all show up and show up, from a place of abundance where we trust one another and we view that we all have something to give, then it doesn't feel so scary. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't create this space of like, we're here to help and you as a weaker person are here to receive because that is not what community Mm -hmm. is about. So being able to just give the resources needed to someone who's already trusted in their community, and I'll use like Papa as an amazing example, um, Waianae Coast Comprehensive Health as an amazing example. They are already so connected to their Mm -hmm. community that they know who needs what, and they have the trust and the relationship of that community that it doesn't feel like a handout, and hopefully it doesn't create um, a dependency either. It's, we are just sharing our collective resources with Mm -hmm. one another. So we as a community can survive this very trying time for all of us. And, and that has been a beautiful part of that. And, you know, not, I'm not bashing by any means these like large scale drive through events, but to me that it's just, it's not serving people with dignity Mm -hmm. and, and seeing people like. I am me, and you are you, and we are equal here. Mm-hmm. Um, I I might have resources that you currently do not have, but you also have um, cultural and so much no- cultural knowledge and, and many other things that can help you know the most effective way to get mm-hmm. meals through your neighborhood, you know? Like, I come in as an outsider and try and create a map of how I'm gonna deliver food and it's super ineffective and it's inefficient and it ultimately leaves people behind. Whereas someone who's already in that community knows mm-hmm. how to do it best. And that's been the beautiful part, and for me, as an inspiration of like our future work, is how can we, as Chef Hui under my umbrella Pili group, and even as individuals, show up in a way to make sure that these systems are created in communities that don't have that structure so that we can collectively approach life from a place of abundance and and lift one another up together and i got that like went off uh on a little spiritual journey from what the actual like solid answer is of shakui but that has been one of the most inspiring things for me that's come out of it no, that was when no, Chef how we came on strong.
0: Well. And, and for a while in my circle, even amongst other nonprofits and foundations, you're on everyone's mind. We've had conversations with people yes. and they've asked us straight up, what well, do you know about Chef Fui? And we explained it as best as we could. And the best thing about Chef Fui is that when you organized it and you explained it to us, you talked about the farmers receiving support and the restaurants and then the community the meals were going, where everything, it was a triple benefit. But at the same time, what you told me about yeah. the papakolea, for example, the distribution is you're handing out recipe cards with the raw ingredients. So in a way, I mean, you're also mm-hmm. educating people about their food and where it comes from, but how do, how do you create it? And mm-hmm. you're giving people opportunity to get the food, bring it home, and maybe have something to do and have an engagement activity with their family. And mm-hmm. that was just... Nothing I can say besides the fact that it, it felt so right and beautiful.
1: Yeah. I think you used the, the word you used, Amanda, was dignity. A lot of times, I think, we're so busy trying to fix problems or trying to help as much as possible. And sometimes we forget to acknowledge that dignity part. The, we are here to make a connection. Because we're all human beings and we're here to connect with each other, and sometimes because it's so busy or we're trying to help as much as possible, we forget that component, and and it's such an important component about of how we live our lives and how what is our moral compass and all of that. Um, and you, uh, that's what I see when I see Chef Hui. I see I see human beings being you know human, and taking care of each other.
2: I mean that is. It's been, it's been, I think for us, for Mark and I, as busy and overwhelming as the work during COVID has been for us sometimes. um, I mean, number one, like we could not have done the work that we had done if it wouldn't have been for, my mother was here when COVID hit. And so, and so was Mariah. And Mm -hmm. so I, you guys hear me preach a lot about like the village mentality and like the only reason Mark and I have been able to do the work that we do up until this point is because of this beautiful village that oh, yeah. we have. And it took me having kids to let go of thinking that I needed to do everything on my own. And, that, and again, I think it goes back to that little girl. I had to be strong and stubborn and do everything on my own because if I couldn't, then that would show weakness and that I didn't deserve to be a business owner. And when I had children... I I really had to let that go because it was going to be impossible for me to show up for my profession if I didn't have a village supporting me raising my children in the way I wanted to raise them. And also trusting in my clients that, you know, I had people who had kids and like pretended like they didn't, women who pretended like they didn't have kids in their professional life and didn't speak about their children because they were afraid they would be judged or they wouldn't get a promotion or they wouldn't be respected because of that. And, you know, that was something that had, that wasn't lost on me. And, but I think that that's where that shift I talked about again of like, just saying, you know what, that's not me actually, that feels like I am not being authentic. And so I would lead board meetings with my daughter and a carrier on, you know, on the front of me. And of course I had to ask my clients, like, are you comfortable with me doing this? But I felt like it was important for me to do that to show uh, a generation who maybe was very uncomfortable by that, that I can still be just as effective Mm -hmm. in this situation with my three month old tied on to me, you know, and like I'm sitting here at the board. I just presented and now I'm sitting here and I'm breastfeeding my daughter under this blanket and nobody even knows it and I can still participate Mm -hmm. in a conversation (laughs) Lo and behold, your brain still works while you're feeding your child. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's, like, and some people are like, oh, but did you miss out like on that beautiful connection between, you know, caring for your child without other distractions? Like not at all. I still had tons of those moments. And I think built character in our girls by like being part of these very different experiences, you know, from infancy on, but it's it's just a uh, it's it's changing the narrative for for <laughs> us in a lot of things and and now as 10 years in by no means am i like a leader in in my profession at this point in time but i do think i felt like it was important for me to kind of normalize being a mom and a business owner and being a parent and a business owner together and i think covid has made that a beautiful thing too we're now you know CEOs of companies have their kids come up and ask them for more juice when they're on a Zoom call with their <laughs> with their clients and with their because that was necess- we had no mm-hmm. other choice right mm-hmm. so hopefully it's expedited that a little bit but it's i think it's like the, the, the time is now for those for those kinds of things and so the pandemic for all of the the pain and suffering and loss um, that it has created for many of us it also has created growth and resiliency and connection and and community in ways as well. And I'm scared of, of what our economy is going to look like. And that is still, you know, very heavy for all of us to carry. But focusing on that, I don't think does us any good. It's continuing to focus on what we can control and how we can grow and how we can reimagine because of it yep here we are you know with respect to time i don't know if you have to go anywhere
0: but um we are we are definitely over uh we (laughs) wanted to bring you to the podcast because we're such great partners with you you've been such a great partner for us but we really want to shine a spotlight onto what you do not just your company but who you are as an individual because you really are um bringing your values and living your values to your company and it really shows through the work that you do but i am going to disagree with you on one thing you said that you're not a leader and i wholeheartedly disagree with that because you cannot do all the things you've done with the care that you've taken to do it and not be considered a leader in the community because you are and not to embarrass you but you are uh 2020, 40 under 40. Is that correct?
2: I am. Yes. I, I recently, <laughs> I barely by the hair on my chinny chin chin in age, um, made it into the 40 under 40.
1: No, uh, no. Again, another similar fun fact. Ryan was 40 wow. under 40 when he was 38 as well. <laughs>
2: That's the age. Maybe that's a they It is. They pick up. <laughs> better let them in before they're too old. Exactly. <laughs> you
0: just had thirty-nine people, and they just kind of <laughs> rolled the dice and just picked my name out of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to say, I want to. Don't interrupt me when I'm praising you. Like, I want to also say that your husband would say what?
2: Don't interrupt me when I'm praising you. Oh
0: <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> You really (laughs) did through this entire talk. Without us asking, we wanted to kind of get into the reasons why you do the things you do. And it's very apparent that the things you do are are born out of necessity, but also born out of just who you are. And there's no other way to explain what your company does or what you do other than it just represents you. And you've kind of carried that spirit of nonprofit and community in your heart. And that's something that we really respect then we view it as your greatest strength and we really appreciate you being our partner and really appreciate you coming on and talking story with us. We hope that people who listen, who might have been interested in hearing what you have to say, get got to know you a little bit better. And overall, yeah, we're just very grateful to have you in our lives and, and we Uh love working with you. You have the best (laughs) food at any volunteer event that we've gone to. And we talk about that all the time.
2: That's um, that was another, I think that's, credit to my mom again on like full bellies with like food prepared with love makes for happy people. And that's something we've always thought about with our volunteers and, you know, in like staff and everyone, we always have to mm-hmm. make sure, although Mariah and I never eat during events, we don't live by our own rules. Same. are <laughs> making sure that we, you know, nourish people with, with food that has love in it. Um, it it creates a a space for positive things to happen so we're we're so thankful for our partnership with you folks as well and to have you I think we skirted the line of being um, partners and being of service in the community to then really getting to know each other at very intimate levels and becoming good friends and and we're we're happy to have you in both and I think that's the beauty of this current world that we live in is that we can be partners in business and we can also be friends. And that's, that's what makes, that's what makes the sweet spot, you know, is being able to work with people that you also consider friends. As long as the food
0: doesn't stop, then we can keep being friends.
2: (laughs) Yep. I'll let, I'll let the chef know.
0: Uh, Well, I mean, you said (laughs) so much that I want to say, and I do want to bring it back to, the quote that you may have been thinking about is, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life.
2: That's right. And I
0: think you've managed to do that. So congratulations mm-hmm. on that. Congratulations to your success. And more importantly, thank you so much for being a resource for the nonprofit community. I've seen, I've seen you double people's monies raised. It's not about the money. but Nonprofits do need money. But you can, yeah. if you can do all of that with heart and engagement, then you know that it's a win all
2: the way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, i agree well we couldn't do it without you as partners so thanks for partnering with us crazy people
0: well like attracts like <laughs> and if we're all crazy then so be it
2: we drive in times of crisis <laughs> because of that <us. laughs> <laughs> thank you guys well, amanda I thank you so much very soon thank yeah. you okay. Bye. bye-bye yes Bye.